I'm Melissa Boyles. Welcome to Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. Today, I got to talk to someone who really gives me a lot of hope for the future leadership of transportation in Arizona, Tony Santana. Tony works for Valley Metro. He's the project manager for the Northwest Phase 2 Light Rail Transit Extension. He's someone that was born in the inner city of Phoenix. He grew up at I-17 in Jefferson. His parents still live there today. And he went to ASU. While he was at ASU, he was really struck by light rail. In 2008, when the initial system opened, Tony was witness to the changes that could occur, the excitement around transportation, and it really affected and inspired him to want to have a career in transportation. He worked in the private sector side for a bit and then transitioned over to the owner side and became an employee of Valley Metro. Since then, he has been very passionate about taking on bigger and bigger opportunities and making sure that what we're doing as a community, as an industry is really serving the people who live here. He is an inspirational future leader, and I cannot wait to share his story and his interview with you. So without further ado, let's talk to Tony. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I'm really excited that you're joining us on Moving Arizona. Thank you for having me. For those of our audience members that don't know you, can you describe a little bit the role that you have at Valley Metro and kind of what your day-to-day activities are? You have a lot of pretty exciting things going on. Currently, I'm working as the project manager for Valley Metro on the Northwest Extension Phase 2 project. It's a 1.6-mile extension from 19th Avenue and Dunlap that goes to Metro Center with the hopes of revitalizing the Metro Center area. And we all just heard about bad news over there at Metro Center where they're closing their doors as of June 30th. Hopefully, with the project coming in there and transportation being what it is and helping communities just become revitalized and building areas and, and just building economic development, in the area, we're really hoping that the light rail project will help Metro Center because I know for me being a Phoenician here and growing up and going to Metro Center and going to the movies there, that's an area that I definitely want to see thrive in the future. So hopefully we can do that. At Valley Metro right now, we're just trying to get the project started. We're trying to negotiate a guarantee maximum price with our construction manager as Kiwit as a joint venture with McCarthy. We're also working with Jacobs to finalize some of the design to get our addendum one out, to get some of our permits going so we can get ready for construction. And they're also going to be working on the team during construction. So we did sign a change order to them for design services during construction. And then we also have PGH Wong, which we're planning on signing the same design services during construction change orders. So we're just trying to get things going, get construction rolling out. We do have some third-party utilities to get ahead. So right now, just the main focus is starting construction here in August. At worst case, September, and we can get rolling, get Councilwoman Williams, her, her project that she's definitely been a big part of and helping encourage us to get that project going. The project delivery method for the Northwest Phase 2 project is a construction manager at risk. Correct. And so Jacobs is a designer. That's my firm. And then the McCarthy-Kewitt joint venture is the contractor. Can you explain a little bit about the systems contract and the difference between the systems contract and what PGH Wong would be doing during design services for construction versus Jacobs and how that works together with you and the general contractors? Yeah. So being it's a CM at risk project, which is the construction management at risk project. um, One of the good things about that is throughout the design phase, we actually have the contractor on board 
to help us. So when we get to the point where we actually are pricing out the project, we don't hear things like this isn't constructible. We can't build this. So having the CMAR there has been a really good thing for us. Um, they really done a good job giving construction feedback. And I think from Jacobs and PJ Swang's standpoint, from our systems to our civil group, I think having that CMAR process is really beneficial. And then now we're at a point where we actually have a bid plan set out, which was based off of our 90% design. Now it's going to flip around and our design team is going to join us during construction. If there's any changes in the field or anything that we just can't predict because that's just the way construction is, we have our design teams out there to quickly answer any RFIs or any change order requests that we receive from the contractor. But as far as the separation of on this project, what Valley Metro did was we actually hired on a systems group that was going to work on Northwest Extension Phase 2, South Central Extension, and the Capital I-10 with the fact that it's our network for our system. So from our traction power step stations, which gives our trains power to our signal buildings and our signaling systems, that's the network that allows our system to run. So we wanted one firm to work on all projects to help one just keep consistency. And then two, just to help speed up the process during that system design. And what we wanted to do is the biggest thing was just the consistency for our operation folk. So we have PGH Wong in there working on, on that package. It is a different dynamic. Typically on a Valley Metro project, we usually have one design team that manages all areas of the design. But like I said, I think we just wanted that consistency. But Jacobs and PGH Wong has done a really good job just coordinating at every submittal. They made sure that they were talking because there's some things that Jacobs is going to do for the system group. For example, the ducting system, civil was Jacobs. So they had to do the conduits for the system teams. So that coordination had to be really close. It was just a different dynamic. Valley Metro took a different path. Well, PGH Wrong is a really strong company. They have worked on the Valley Metro projects like from the very beginning. I think they bring a lot of history and they know how things have evolved and could help navigate around some of the hiccups, sort of lessons learned, looking at the past either segments or that initial starter line, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started in Lightrail working with PJ Chuang for Valley Metro as a project management consultant manager. So yes, from even CPEV to Northwest Extension Phase 1, they literally had a hand in all the projects. So they know our operation folks, what their needs are, and they really give us a lot of history that helps us from a system standpoint for Valley Metro to stay consistent. So for those of the audience members not familiar with light rail history, CPEV was Central Phoenix East Valley? Correct. That's the first 20 miles and got me to say, hey, light rail looks really cool. And I was in college actually in 2008, was able to not drive a car or have to take bus or any other modes of transportation at light rail conveniently dropped me off in front of ASU. <laughs> it's actually one of the first projects that we had in Phoenix, but also a project that got me really interested in light rail. So talk a little bit about how you decided to go into a career in the transportation industry. Yeah. So growing up in the inner city in Phoenix, I was fortunate. I lived in downtown Phoenix, grew up on Jefferson and I-17, and just being really close, I was able to see the transformation of downtown. And when the Diamondback Stadium was built or this Suns Arena was built in the early 90s, I was able to see that, yes, that did bring people to come, but nobody really stayed. Nobody came early. So after that, the next biggest thing that I can remember is the light rail coming in. And when the light rail came in, I started noticing people coming to the games, people starting to live downtown, and everything started to just really funnel downtown. So I just saw the growth that it came. And not only we were building projects, but you were building communities. And ever since I was a young kid, I always joked that I wanted to be an NBA player. Not because I, you would make all this money and, and you would be famous. It was only because I wanted to make enough money to give back to my community. When I was growing up as a kid, I always had the reason of why I wanted to get into something. And I think transportation allows that why still because we are impacting the communities. As a kid growing up, my reason of why was, how can I give back to the city I love? And that was transportation. I found that out though in 2008, like I mentioned earlier. It's just, it's easy access. You see the growth and you really see that it changes people's lives. I mean, I'm one of the kids that it did change my life. Transportation is just really a passion for me. Well, it's incredible when you give people access to mobility. 
when you can jump on a train or you can jump on a bus and you can get somewhere quickly, certainly something cool like light rail, that's exciting. Absolutely. And it's just great how all of our projects we build are for everybody from a student going to college or somebody wanting to go to church or somebody wanting to go to the grocery store or somebody from Ability360, which is a great facility that hosts a lot of gyms to pools to workout centers for folks that fall under the disability category. And it was working on projects like that and just seeing that it's not just touching a certain group's life, it's touching many. And that's the best thing of transportation is it's really meant for all. And look at me, I, <laughs> I lived in North Phoenix, drove to work every day and just saw that that was really, really challenging. So I moved downtown with my family. We live in a high rise next to the light rail. I can walk to work. I can light rail to restaurants. And honestly, it was the light rail that brought us downtown, the convenience. So definitely a different lifestyle for me. But just seeing all the things that the light rail does bring and just the way that people want to live, work and play, I think it's definitely changing the way Phoenix is shaping out to be. I feel like Phoenix in some ways is growing up a little bit instead of out so much. I mean, I know we yeah. still have sprawl, but I also feel like there's a lot of development downtown, mixed use development. We have our first grocery store downtown. That was pretty exciting. Oh, it was amazing. It changed my mom's life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really just changing where it's, it's no longer, like I said, well, people just would come downtown, work and leave or go to a ball game and leave. Now people are staying, they're actually coming and, and they want to stay here. They want to move here. So if you look downtown Phoenix, there's just construction everywhere. And most of those are just residential. I mean, you're, you're having a lot of condos going up. It's really good to get people that want to live by transit. Yeah. So you have all the mixed use going on and you have, you know, now we'll get through the other side of this pandemic, but you have restaurants, there's an Orange Theory down there. There's the Y, there's the ballpark, the stadium, there's all kinds of stuff downtown now. And it's a completely different feel than it was 10 or 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's mostly I'm focusing on Phoenix, but I mean, you can look at Tempe, Mesa, all those places, I've been fortunate to take the train quite a bit. And I just like to travel just to see the development. And working on all these projects, you're able to see it go from, you know, not having as much life and just people just moving around there. So you put a station there and then people are actually getting out, going to restaurants. There's so many restaurants I've seen on our alignment that I had no idea that were there. And they're just, it's an amazing, it's amazing to see all that growth. So you were talking a little bit about 2008, 2008, you were in college or you graduated from college? Yeah, I was, I was in college. You went to ASU? Yep. So uh, going to ASU and you saw the light rail open. That was pretty incredible. That whole opening weekend. I remember that. So can you talk a little bit about graduating from college? You were studying engineering, right? So you're a PE now? Yeah. So I graduated from Arizona State as a civil engineer. While I was working on Northwest Extension Phase 1, I was able to get my PE, my professional engineering license here in Arizona. And then with that, I'm just one of those people that just loves to learn and just continue to try to grow. And so I give every project that we work on, all that I have. Lucky enough, I work at Valley Metro and they've been really supportive. I've been able to get my MBA as well from uh, University of Phoenix just recently. So I just finished that in October of 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. Just looking for new ways to learn. And my next thing is just get another certification at Valley Metro. Once again, I'm just fortunate that they want to push me to succeed. So I'm going to get my PMP here shortly. So a PMP is a project Correct. management professional certification? It's a general certification. So it's just another avenue to learn. And you get different opinions from different backgrounds. I just try to jump on that. So you're the project manager on Northwest Phase 2. Were you also the PM on the 50th Street Station? Because you mentioned Mobility 360. When I came in Valley Metro, actually, my hire date was on my birthday, February 27th, 2017, from PGH Wong. I actually worked for Valley Metro as a resident engineer. So I started as a resident engineer. And the project was not as big. It was only a $22.9 million station. It was all local funds. And one of the big advocates there was the Ability360. And it was just a great partnership with them. They were really happy when we were done. And uh, it was just amazing. Their facility is about on 52nd Street. 
our station was at 51st. So the closest station to them was on 44th Street, which was really quite of a hike for them, for most of those folks. And they're in from wheelchairs to visually impaired. There's a lot of folks on there that had to travel quite a bit. And especially if you think about now, the summer, it's just really hot. And for us to be able to put a station within a block of their facility was the happiest thing I've ever seen on some of these folks' faces. But yeah, so I started as a resident engineer working in construction. And then quickly, because of the size of the project, they moved me to a project manager for 50th Street. And then they also moved me to Northwest Extension Phase 2. And I started that in 2018. So I was only with them a year and they moved me from resident engineer to project manager. So not only is Valley Metro supporting me with, with the education and then the background and certification, but I've been very fortunate to have opportunities and then just continue to grow within the organization. Well, you mentioned the 50th Street Station being a small project, but a $22 million construction project that has a direct impact on an organization like Ability360, that's a pretty significant community impact. And my understanding was that in managing that project, things went pretty smoothly. Yeah. Finish ahead of schedule. And anytime you finish ahead of schedule and within budget, it's always a success. Which is not something that always happens in construction, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. And I think we've done a good job of just learning from our previous projects and being able to work with the contractors as well. And and with that CMAR process, it's a benefit. Um, You really get good feedback from your contractor during the pre-construction services when you're going through the design phase. So a lot of those unknowns that you usually have, you can never change the underground. It's underground utilities and, and things that are underground are obviously you try to try to get out there and learn as much as you can. But those are the ones you always get surprised with. But it's the above ground stuff that you really try to avoid and, and really try to not have any changes. And our contractors have been really good to work with from all the projects I worked on from Northwest Extension Phase 1 to Gilbert Road Extension to 50th Street. And now hopefully in Northwest, it follows suit. So we've been really blessed to have that and have minimal change orders, try to keep them down within like 2% of the construction costs, which is really good. So I I feel like you talked a little bit about Valley Metro and and how they invest in people and they promote and help people really grow their careers. And I worked for them in a former life and I certainly had that experience as well. Um, But, you know, there are things that you can learn from an academic level as far as getting your MBA and understanding the business side of things and and things that you can learn by getting the additional certification of understanding, um, you know, different perspectives on project management principles. But there are Mm -hmm. things that you bring to the table as a project manager, as someone who's really evolving as a leader in transportation for us locally that can't be learned in books and can't be taught through a certification program. Your understanding of our community and understanding of how specifically the downtown areas and some of the underrepresented communities are impacted by these projects, I think is really important. Can you talk a little bit about your role as a project manager on the Northwest Phase 2 project and how you've engaged with the community and how your knowledge of the impacts has helped you in that role? Yeah, so the biggest thing is just knowing the community and and understanding that you know you have to be empathetic and i think that is a big thing that i have is being a person from phoenix being a person that's been around construction i'm really empathetic for those folks to understand like hey we know construction is not easy but we're here to learn from the previous projects we are on and continue to learn and grow and try to get through this construction phase with you we're not here to fight you so we really try to be empathetic to the folks that we're impacting And I I think that's the one thing that I'm able to do is when I talk to them, I talk to them with sincerity and say, I'm here for you. We're here to help. We're not just saying that to say that. We're actually here to really help them through this. And and like I said, construction is not easy. And we all know that. And our projects aren't 10 months. uh, They're not three months, right? They're two and a half, three years. So so we're going to be out there and we're going to be their neighbors for three years. We need to really, really take it seriously and be empathetic to them. One thing for me that I think 
from what I said, I found my reason for why I want to get back to the community. But the thing is, is I'm driven by passion and those passions create action and then those actions create goals. So I kind of use that cycle throughout the process. And, and I bring my passion every day to every meeting that I have, set the tone early with our design teams and, and let them know like, hey, this is a city I love. So let's make it a good project. And I think we've done that on Northwest. I think we've done that on a, a lot of other projects. So, so as a project manager, we're just trying to really make sure everybody wakes up with that same intent. And you want to give the community a good project. We're not just doing another project. We're doing a project for this community and let's do it right. And I think we set that tone early. And as a team, I think the delivery that we have for Northwest Extension Phase, phase 2, I think we've done a good job of that. We're having a public meeting here in August. You'll see some of the designs that Jacobs did and, and working with PGH Wong. They did an excellent job. And I think it was all driven with they wanted to make that community and change that community. So I think my passion is the first thing I start with. So there's the passion to serve, really to be a public servant, to have a service-minded leadership style, but you're also very pragmatic and very straightforward. And it seems from everything that I've observed, but also hearing from our team that's working on the Northwest Phase 2 project, you're all about solving the problem. Going into the project, weren't we in a situation where the cost immediately needed to be brought down and you had to work with the project team on ideas of how you could value engineer things and ways to streamline the project delivery and things of that nature? Correct. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Yeah, we did come in and uh, it was a quick, uh-oh, we have to do something here. And uh, it was meant to be with our team. We had a really good team to to think of these value engineering ideas. And value engineering is where you want to decrease costs, but maintain functionality or make it better. And I think our team was going in with that mindset of, let's not just delete scope and just cut everything to make the project work. Because once again, I don't think that I was wanting that either because I live here. I'm not going to build this project and then move on. So I don't want to drive by a project that we pay hundreds of millions of dollars for. And every time we drive by it, we didn't like what we built. So we kind of set that stage of real value engineering items that we can save money, but maintain that functionality. And one of those examples is hopefully we're going to be the first project to use, I believe in the United States on light rail projects, fiber reinforcement which is a big deal because it's the, anytime you're the first one to use it, you're definitely the big deal. We told the team, think of every idea. No idea is a bad one. And we really took that to heart. And there were some really big ideas. And I think we took a lot of them. And it was our willingness to say, hey, we want to save this project. But at the same time, we want to give something to the community that we're going to like. So Jacobs and everybody, they had our support from Valley Metro to the, the CMART. We all worked together and we thought of these ideas. And I think we did a really good job from setting that tone early. The partners involved, you know, you with Valley Metro, some of the more discipline-oriented team members, PGH Wong on the systems front, you had Jacobs, you had Kiwit, you had a lot of different organizations that were trying to figure out how to make the project work. But before we jump over it, the fiber reinforced concrete is super cool. Would you explain what that is, how it was tested to see if it could be used, hopefully, and then what that means to the project to not have to use rebar and to be able to use the fiber reinforced concrete instead? Fiber reinforcement is literally thin fibers. We're using steel fibers for this one. It's the first time. So almost like toothpicks, but steel fiber. So typically we use rebar and they're usually a double mat rebar and it's a 14 and a half inch slab. So we were, once again, we were just challenged to say, how can we make this more efficient? How can we save costs? So what we did was we looked at fiber reinforcement. We actually had ASU, Professor Mabasher, he's really known in fiber reinforcement and has a lot of research. And we reached out to him to do a study for us. So we did mock-ups of the existing slab versus a few slabs that had different type of fiber reinforcement. Fortunately, the study is showing that we actually not only could replace it with a similar thickness and just using fiber reinforcement with no rebar, we were actually able to also reduce the thickness of the slab. Typically, we're at a 14 and a half inch slab when we're able to reduce that to 12 inches. Just looking at the study, we were looking at a design that, yes, it's working today, but it was over-designed. So we knew we would save costs. Not having to tie rebar, you're reducing the amount of concrete, reducing the amount of excavation, 
we don't have to worry about straight current because there's no continuous member inside the concrete. So it just, it had a lot of benefit factors. And the only thing that is a little challenging is because you're the first one to use it. People are saying, why change? Well, the question isn't why change? We did change, not because it wasn't working. It was just, can we make this lab more efficient? And with Jacobs and working with the contractor and ASU, we were able to say yes with confidence. That's pretty exciting. I know our team, when they were exploring it and reaching out to sort of global Jacobs and has anybody done this before? And is it possible? And let's just do pros and cons before we take this any further with Valley Metro. You know, it's, we certainly would not recommend something that we thought that there was any risk involved with. But it seems yeah. like, gosh, the time saving. So you've got schedule, project management principles, right? You've got scope, schedule, and budget. And you save, you reduce scope in a positive way. Usually that's a, it got a negative connotation, but you reduce scope because you don't need as much labor. You reduce cost because you're reducing the material cost. So you affect all of those three major components of project management and helping to streamline something that, gosh, as you move forward with other potential corridors, that could be a pretty substantive savings. Having you lead that effort and working with ASU and vetting it out internally with Valley Metro, that has to be kind of cool, right? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, that's why we do engineering, right? To problem solve and make things more efficient. And I think we were able to do that with this. And it is exciting. I mentioned earlier with Cap I-10 going west, those are several mile of projects. And we'll see how much the actual savings is at the end of the day and all those efficiencies as well, because it is the first time We'll see how efficient it is, but we have to know it does, right? You have a crew out there to go, let's say you're at an intersection. If you can completely eliminate the fact that you have to tie rebar, that definitely helps us open the intersection up eight hours early or 10 hours earlier than we should. So we can have more time, you know, if we have a weekend closure, we're all about trying to make it as efficient as possible and just get in and get out so we can get out of the way in that intersection, right? So I think it's definitely going to help. We just don't know all the answers yet, but we know it has to be more efficient. And with talking with our contractor, there is a savings there already. So so we know there's a savings. I think it's just going to get better as we learn and use it for the first time. And try to quantify it. And there'll be lessons learned around it, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So we're talking about a little bit of the engineering aspects of being in the role that you're in as a project manager on Northwest Phase 2. But one of the things that I think is critical to project success is understanding the stakeholders and your knowledge of the city of Phoenix and who the council members are and the history of how these projects have evolved, I think is really important too. It's something that you bring to the table that's different than a lot of people because you've sort of seen it from a citizen slash resident perspective. And then you were on the private sector side, which is a totally different experience than being on the public sector side, but now you're part of a public owner. So from the public side and the private side, it's just, I think I was glad that I did the private side first because it was just, it was a different world, right? I mean, you're working for an owner and, and you have deadlines and you know they're paying you a fee to make sure you complete a job. Where working from the public side, I think it's allowing me to have more flexibility on the ultimate goal for me, like I was telling you, is just driven by more empathetic to the stakeholders. I'm more passionate. I understand like from the design standpoint, we don't want to delete things from our design that is going to impact our operations, our our partners in the city of Phoenix, city of Tempe, city of Mesa. So I think the empathy is a little bit more there of why, because when you're on the private side, it's a little easier to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to still meet the design intent, but you can give up a little bit more, I feel, just because you want to get design done or you need to get construction done quickly. So there's some things that you can do there. Where on the public side, I think you start to be more empathetic because you're talking to these folks on a daily basis where you're talking with your operation folks, you're talking with the city of Phoenix. Like you said, we get to talk with the council members, we get to talk with some of the folks in public transit. And even in the water department, like you start to get a different perspective on why they fight so hard for some of their standards and, and just things like that. So I think you just become more empathetic to the city and understand their process. And there's a reason they have that process in place. Fortunately, working on all these projects, even working on the private side, I did have relationships with the city, like you mentioned. So I think that definitely helps me navigate the waters for these projects. 
they know I'm not coming and asking them questions to deviate from a standard unless we have no other option. So I think it makes it a little bit easier of having that relationship with the city for almost 10 years, just understanding that process and understanding who to call. I think that's the biggest thing is understanding when you're changing something, make sure you call the right person, involve the right people. And I think that's, as a project manager, why I've been so successful is that I understand the city standards, the Valley Metro standards. I understand the political pressure that you have. So I know that there's these fine lines that you have to, to walk as a project manager. You just have to make sure you include the right people before you make a final decision. I think that's a really important point about including the right people. You know, a lot of times something may seem like a good idea, but then when you get all of the impacted people around the table together, you realize it maybe wouldn't have been the best choice moving forward. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of a situation where you had to collaborate with maybe multiple departments to problem solve something on Northwest 2? One example is we actually had to work with Valley Metro, our operation groups, and some of the council folks, actually Councilwoman Williams, because her side, I don't know if anyone's familiar, but Metro Center is actually her district. And then she's been just awesome to work with and, and a huge advocate of the project. So one of the things she was talking to us about and talking to the city staff that works with us as well, is just that they really wanted to make the bridge a unique factor. So what we did was work with Jacobs and your architects and they actually came up with a lighting concept over the bridge. So we're really excited with that and we were able to show her some renderings. So that request came in, for example, came in to us, hey, can we add some kind of feature to the bridge to make this stand out? So we took that, worked with Jacobs, they came up with some concepts. We had to go through our operation folks and maintenance because they're the ones that have to maintain it because it was going to be on Valley Metro Guideway, work with our CEO and our director for CSD, which is our Capital and Service Development Department, and then also work with the City of Phoenix. We had a meeting with Councilwoman Williams and showed her some exhibits and made her really happy. So at the end of the day, she saw a concept, and then hopefully we're going to be able to construct it and really bring a smile to her face when, when it is all open. But that was one where we had to work with all departments and all leadership from Valley Metro to the city of Phoenix. And you had to coordinate with ADOT too, right? Because it spans the I-17? Yeah, we did. We had a meeting with them just to let them know, is there any lighting requirements that we need to stay away from and make sure that we're not impeding any of their traffic flow as well. So we did have them in the loop as well. And the end of line that the guys are super excited guys and gals super excited about the line and that structure. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know they did put a pretty substantive amount of effort into research around transit-oriented development, which could be instrumental, you know, maybe repurposing the Metro Center Mall area now that they're closed and it's ripe for doing something different with it. Yeah, our focus has been at the in the line early in the project before when Jacob's came on the project. It was actually when we went from the east side of the 17 to the west side of the I-17 right near Metro Center, it actually turned north and was going to be directly over the frontage road. Well, one of the big DE items is because of construction and cost um, and schedule. One of the big ideas at the value engineering session was to actually just go straight over and go straight into the mall, right outside the mall where we're actually landing in the parking lot area. And we did this, but before we made this decision, we actually had to work really closely with the Carlisle Group, who's one of the bigger landowners for the mall area, to get their buy-in to make sure that they would approve of that. And when we showed them it, they said, we love the other idea, but we really, really love this idea. So, so we were that happy <laughs> coordination of them, right? And then the whole time when we were designing and working with the team and the city of Phoenix and their economic development group, we wanted to minimize the square footage that we took on the actual mall property to maximize the economic development right around our transit center. So we went away from having a surface parking lot, for example, and we went to a four-story garage, which not only did that help with the surface area, but it also, it's Phoenix and who doesn't want a parking garage in Phoenix? Right. So we just try to find ways to minimize that land impact and then also just make it really pedestrian friendly. We're always worried about safety on any one of our projects. So we just really focused on that area not when we're done with it in three years, but what is it going to bring and how much volume is it going to bring? So 
So we were really looking at the next 10 to 20 years. Once this area does get revitalized and they start to develop around it, we wanted to be basically a route for that to let that place grow. Everything we did at that transit center was focused around the redevelopment of the mall. So with the mall closing, pretty sure a lot of people are like, well, now we have, you know, this end of line in a closed facility. But that actually, I mean, from my perspective, actually presents a lot of really interesting opportunities. Because if you look at light rail in the valley, the amount of economic development that generally will spring from being adjacent to light rail is pretty significant. So the fact that we're going straight across I-17 now, and I think there's a lot that could be done there, don't you think? Yeah. And they're actually working with the city closely. Carlisle is the major developer there, but they're working with the city to rezone that area. So it could be multi-purpose. So they're actually working on rezoning it. I don't know if in the future it could be a redeveloped mall or some kind of residential living or high rises. They're a land developer that owns that property right now. And they're trying to sell the land to developers to revitalize that area. There's some interesting stuff that can happen for sure. You could do mixed use. There's a lot of different things that you could do, especially with you know the West Valley growth and then that access to the I-17 corridor. That's just a, that's really a fantastic location. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of residents there. They're just to the south of Dunlap and the north of Peoria, you have a lot of homes there too. So anything you build, I think you're going to definitely get a lot of folks coming to it. And I think the land developer invested in that, knowing that. But then when they found out light rail is coming into the heart of their property, it really brought a smile to their face. So hopefully a lot of things can happen quickly once we get the project going. I'm excited to see how it evolves. I was sad to see the Metro Center closing. I remember growing up it was kind of a big deal to drive to Phoenix and to go school clothes shopping at Metro Center. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or cruising. I think cruising. they had a one last they had a one last cruise day or something the other day there. It's it's tonight. It's Is tonight. it tonight? Yeah, six o'clock. Oh, you might see me there. <laughs> They're gonna do some big aerial photo. The cruise is going to start at like six and then they're going to do that's kind of like a final shot for Metro Center. It's kind of sad, but it's cool at the same time that they plan something like that. You think it'll work if I bring my scooter or is that (laughs) (laughs) it might be a little warm for the scooter (laughs) tires break down? Yeah. You're funny about your scooter to share a little bit about your primary mode of transportation there. It's my electric scooter. I get 20 <laughs> miles out of it. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's great in the wintertime. It's a nice relaxing travel home. I mean, you get out of the office and you, you really, you get to have fun on a scooter. I mean, I, I can't complain. Andrew was sharing one day, I guess you guys took light rail to Tempe and then you, I guess you rent a scooter. <laughs> yeah, that was when we did the uh, fiber reinforcement study. So we had to go over there and do a field trip and somehow the scooters found us. <laughs> 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 other block. It was just bad. <laughs> I could picture you guys jumping off in Tempe and riding your scooters around the campus. We got pictures now. <laughs> <laughs> Something else to uh, blackmail Andrew with, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so talking a little bit about things that are different, things that are evolving, what do you see for your future? I've heard that maybe in the distant future, you might be considering some sort of political opportunity, yeah. but that you really want to grow with the industry, but then maybe transition into a larger leadership role. Yeah, I think just being the local kid that just wants to see the best for Phoenix, I I definitely want to keep moving up whenever opportunities present themselves at Valley Metro and continue to pursue a career there. I love what we do in, in this business. Anything transportation, I mean, like I said, I'm the scooter guy. Anything transportation, I'm just interested in it because I just think that's really the heartbeat of any city in any state, you really need a good transportation system in order for people to be attracted to the best talent in the, in the country. And even in the world, you have to have a really good transportation option. I've talked to a lot of folks that like in San Francisco, for example, I had a friend of mine that went out there. The only reason he selected medical school out there was because they had such a good transportation system. And it was easier for him to get to school and, and not have to worry about parking a car or anything like that. So I think transportation is the heart of any city or any place you live. And, and I, I want to continue that with Valley Metro. But if it does present itself, political career does sound 
entertaining. <laughs> I did think about that for sure. Um, you just, you never know where your profession is going to take you. And, and if that's something that I can help improve the transportation system in Phoenix, that's something I would definitely entertain and, and try to explore that option to become a leader in Phoenix. It's definitely something that I'm interested in just because of, of my passion for my city. So I think today, especially in our current climate, a lot of people are talking about diversity. And I think one of the things that you bring to the table is a true connection and understanding of the diverse communities within the Metro Phoenix area from where you grew up and being a part of your neighborhood and, you know, your community there. But then being at university and being exposed to thought leaders and people from all over the country, even people from all over the world, to working on programs and a project with the folks at Valley Metro and you know some of the subject matter experts that get brought in on these projects are really subject matter experts from yep. all over the place. So seeing that range of perspectives, how do you think that has helped you professionally? Honestly, I think it really helps a lot. You have to be able in any in any business or anything that you're working in, you have to be humble enough to respect and understand that there's a lot of smart people in this world and they are here to help you. And instead of trying to battle them and, and try to one up it or, or say something that you can bring to the table better than them, Honestly, I just embrace it. I, I embrace talent. I embrace folks that have things that that's going to help the project. We're going to look at it. We're going to look at it as a team together. I never knock anybody. Um, I don't care the age or the how many years. I, I honestly, I listen to everybody, and he, and I think that's what helps me too in the construction world. Is I'm able to just go and chat it up with some of the guys in the field, and not even just office folks. I think you have to be able to listen to everyone and truly value their opinion. And if you can find a way to do that, you can really help in any industry or any project. And I think I've been able to do that early in my career. And hopefully I continue to do that. But I'm just, you just got to humble yourself to listen to folks. And, and trust me, like you said, there's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge out there. And, and for me, I'm just trying to soak it all in because I think we're getting better at bridging the gap between the folks that were retiring and, and have all that knowledge to some folks like myself that are trying to become leaders in this industry and, and learn from others. We're trying to bridge that gap. But in order to do that, you just really have to listen and take in their information. I agree with that. I, I think, though, part of it is having that open mind and listening to experts that may or may not be from this part of the country, may not have any ties to our community here locally, but being strong enough and capable enough in your leadership, especially on a project like Northwest 2, where you can say, this isn't in the best interest of the community. This may be a great idea, but mm -hmm. part of the objective is serving this constituency or this stakeholder or this purpose and bringing it back yeah. home to that. So being able to understand what their professional perspective is and to be able to process that, but then be able to toe the line on the behalf of taxpayers, yeah. Valley Metro, the city, whatever city that you're working with. But don't you think that's the case? Yeah, I mean, it's even the case here, right? Like, because like you said, we're, we're working with Phoenix, we work with Mesa, we work with Tempe, and each one of those cities, they don't all want the same thing. So I think, yes, we can learn what we do on a Phoenix project and carry it even to Tempe. But like you said, you have to still work with those folks there to say, okay, we did it here this way, but here's how we have to tweak it to make that ideal work here in Tempe. So it goes same thing. Like if we have some really knowledgeable folks that worked on New York projects to California, to just different areas. And like you said, I, I respect your ideas, but yes, you do have to fit it into the place that you're working for sure. So your immediate future is focused on delivering Northwest 2. My understanding is you guys came up with some ideas that might even shave a little bit off of the schedule. So I know that you haven't decided as far as your sequencing and all of that, but when do you think that segment of the system is going to come online? And then what's next for you after that? Right now, we're looking at a uh, revenue service of January of 2024. But once that one op 
I'm just looking to continue to grow in Valley Metro. If any opportunities come up that allows me to enter the leadership role there, I would definitely go for it and just continue to try to help Valley Metro build successful transit projects in this valley. And then we plan on one of the bigger projects is definitely being involved and try to work on the Capital I-10 to get the West Valley a transit system out there as well. We definitely see the traffic on the I-10 and we just need to keep growing and helping. We give people options to get to downtown Phoenix to get to work other than just a vehicle. That's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of something that really, like you said, it changes people's lives. It affects how our communities are evolving, really. Correct. It does. You just see it. It's just a weird dynamic for me to to be a kid that grew up here and, and always like as an inner city kid, the first thing is like, okay, I'm going to college, I'm going to make money and I'm going to move up north. That was just the way it was. You didn't move back downtown. And for me to now live here, I'm somebody that I have literally seen the change so much that I, like I said, I moved my family downtown and we love it. <laughs> just never thought I'd be a high rise living person in Phoenix. To me, like a Chicago, New York, San Francisco, LA kind of thing. And, and to have that lifestyle here in Phoenix and actually see it, it's exciting. It's really kind of cool. And, and the, again, all the restaurants and activities and everything else, it's, it's all evolved completely in a way that none of us could have anticipated. And the development that's planned for downtown is just insane. No, it is. It's, it's exciting. And like, it, it, with the pandemic going on, hopefully we can get through this and get back to a normal lifestyle again. But it definitely has made downtown Phoenix, I know for sure, downtown Tempe and Mesa, they're just it's just booming. Uh, it was just booming with life and people living there and, and wanting to, to hang around our, our stations and things that are close to the transportation realm. is just It's just really good. It's really good to see. So one of the questions that I always ask has to do with mentorship. Part of the impetus for starting this podcast was my role with WTS and the mentorship program And really just having so many people that I wanted to get in front of this group of young women who are entering into the industry to help educate them and to know who's who and have people they can go to. I couldn't narrow down the list to just nine or 10 people that would talk to them during the course of the nine to 10 month program. So I came up with the idea of the podcast. And I always like to ask the guests if they have words of wisdom, lessons learned, any advice as you're talking to people that are maybe just a few years out of college, as they're embarking on a career in transportation, what would you share with them looking back so far at your career? I think the first thing is, I think I mentioned earlier, you just have to figure out the why. Why did you choose transportation? Why did you choose any path that you're going in your professional career? Why did you choose that? And then with that choice, make sure that choice has a lot of passion in it. Make sure that you're going to wake up every day and you know you want to make a difference. Because I think when you wake up every day and know that you like what you're doing, you're going to be the best at it and you're going to want to be the best at it. And another thing is just, I think for me in this career, you're going to have some ups, you're going to have some downs, but don't be afraid to fail. Everybody always says, well, you got to at least try, right? Like for me, I failed in this career. I failed. I mean... Everybody's failed in school. You failed tests, right? Like you failed in projects. You, you, you got to be willing to try. And if you do fail, it's just a part of our business. Nothing goes 100% as planned. As you fail, you're learning. So don't be afraid of failing because eventually that's going to lead to success. And if we can learn that young in your career, and, and it has helped me in my career, I'm, I'm not afraid to try to tackle a new challenge. I'm not afraid to do something different. I'm not afraid to take on another position if they offer me it because I know that I'm in this business for a reason. I'm passionate about it. And there's going to be some hiccups, but as long as you're there to, to just keep trying, don't, don't ever let a failure or something that just didn't go right make you down or anything like that. Cause I trust me it'll eventually come up where you'll see that same situation again and you'll know how to get treated differently and succeed the next time. Wonderful words of wisdom, understanding your why, showing up to work with passion, showing up to your career with passion. Like for you, it's not just career, it's serving your community. And then I haven't had anybody talk about not being afraid to fail, but I think that that's really great advice. 
Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much for doing this interview. It's been awesome to talk to you and hear a little bit more about your background and what you have planned for the future. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close up? No, but I I will tell you, I'm a WTS member. Well, I know that every time we've ever approached Valley Metro and and every time that we've approached you about participating in something, you've always said yes. So thank you for being a supporter of WTS. It is important that we continue to advance the careers of women in the industry. And Valley Metro has a pretty diverse leadership group and that women are definitely advanced within that organization. So we appreciate your support of WTS. Yeah, especially being a dad of a 12-year-old daughter, you know, once again, I'm able to put myself in those shoes. I want to see her succeed. I want to see every person succeed. So definitely a supporter of it. If you ever need anything or any any of your students or anybody that just joined as a member early in their career, just feel free to reach out to me. I love mentoring people. I was mentored and it definitely helps people grow in their career. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. It was so great to talk to Tony Santana. He's someone that has such a passion for the transportation industry and the impacts that quality investment in transportation can really have on communities. I'm sure he has a very bright future with Valley Metro and also in future leadership roles for our community here in Phoenix. We wish him nothing but the best and look forward to seeing how his career evolves. Next up, we'll be talking to Chris Bridges. Chris is the director of the Central Yavapai Metropolitan Planning Organization, also known as SIMPO. He's also the chair of the Arizona Transit Association and has been such a vocal advocate for transit riders and providers throughout the state. He's going to be talking to us about how he's recently leveraged CARES Act funding to implement transit service for the Prescott area. I'm excited to talk to him about that process and what their progress has been to date. I look forward to having you join us back here next time. And until then, let's get moving.